Welcome into Inside LAFC Podcast. I am Max Bretos joining you from great climate here again in Alhambra. It is fantastic. Guys back out in training, getting ready for the stretch run here as they head towards a week off and then decision day. But they'll be working hard between then and now. Great podcast. Another incredible guest on this special Inside LAFC. David Cameraman, our head scout. We'll give you all the details on where he came from, about what is required to get the experience, to get in his position, and what LAFC is looking with regards to their next player. He will also break down several of the key players that LAFC have brought in over the years and how the black and gold were able to locate them, scout them, and bring him here to Los Angeles. We'll talk a little bit about the Austin game and get a little sneak peek of what is required from LAFC moving forward towards decision day final game in Vancouver a special inside LAFC podcast starts right now and we are back here on inside LAFC podcast the regular season one game remains we are in the midst of an international break so that will happen on decision day as many of you know LAFC travel to face the Whitecaps in Vancouver. We'll get into some of the ramifications on what are required, but we'll get into more detail into that on the next podcast as we get ready for the business end and the postseason. Let's take a look back at what happened in Austin. Great news on all fronts. LAFC winning back-to-back games, scoring goals after that goalless drought, nine goals in the last two games, and their defense has remained Stout all along the way. When you look back at the body of the work, obviously the disappointment of a narrow loss to Real Salt Lake and the Campeones Cup in penalties, it's been pretty good. When you you, you revisit a point in Philadelphia, a point in St. Louis, I think everyone feels confident about what LAFC is capable, especially with the goal scoring, which was led again by Denny Buanga. Five of the nine goals belong to him in these last two games. It would appear he is going to win the Golden Boot. He is now at 19 goals, well over 30 goals overall in all competitions, a season very few have ever had. Yes, and it brings up the conversation about MLS MVP, which I just don't think he's going to get there. Uh, Luciano Acosta is second there with 16 goals for the Golden Boot. Not going to catch Denny Buwanga. I'm pretty sure we will see our third Golden Boot in six years for LAFC. Another unprecedented stat. When you think of Carlos Vela 2019, Diego Rossi 2020. I mean, even Chicho Arango gave it a good run last year. It has been pretty remarkable, not only for the amount of Golden Boots, but the fact it's been a different player every time. So he's going to win the Golden Boot. MLS MVP Lucho Acosta because of 16 goals, 13 assists. Helping that revival in Cincinnati. They've won the Supporter Shield. Cannot imagine it'll get away from him. Quite frankly, I have my uh, votes coming up, and I will vote for Lucho Acosta. But I'll tell you what, the gap between him and Denny Bowanga, which was a good size coming into these last two games, has closed up significantly. I believe Bowanga will finish in second, and I'll put Roman Berkey, the St. Louis goalkeeper, in third. Great performance. I do want to point out something as well about the opportunity for Nathan Ordaz and we're looking for these breakthroughs of our academy and LAFC two players Nathan Ordaz played a really good hour working to open space for Buanga and Kike Oliveira who were magnificent in that game he put a big hour this was really his crowning achievement when you consider 
the time of this game, where it was late in the season, for him to be told by Steve Trundolo he's starting, and for him to get that opportunity successfully getting the job done. It wasn't, it, it wasn't like he was doing what the other guys were doing, but he had a job to do, and he did it. That's great signs, and I can't wait to see what Nathan Ordaz has in the future. Good stuff. LAFC, a couple days off, and then they'll ramp up. They have a lot to play for, and we will talk about that. And we will get, as I pointed out in our opening, to our very special guest, David Cameron, the head scout of LAFC. You definitely want to stick around there to find out how we fill our rosters with the talented players that we have done from the beginning. LAFC controls their own destiny, heading into that final round. If they beat Vancouver, they will finish second, which is huge with regards to the playoff positioning. You can leverage to see what happens at St. Louis at one, but you could potentially have home field advantage all the way through to the Western Final and maybe the Western Final if you get there. Seattle can pass them. Houston can pass them. So the worst LAFC can do is fourth. Couldn't fall behind that. Vancouver's four points behind them. So even if they beat LAFC, do the math. Seattle plays at St. Louis. St. Louis has a chance to break LAFC's expansion team record for points. So that is something to keep an eye on. Now, I'm looking at Houston. Houston plays against Portland away. So that's going to be a tough test. Portland has to qualify for the playoffs. So if LAFC don't win, maybe they could still finish in second because the other two teams directly behind them have a challenging set of circumstances. Vancouver's been a tough place for LAFC. I saw John Thorrington in Austin. I said, that's a tough place to end. He goes, yeah, but you're forgetting something, which I did. LAFC went to Vancouver this season in CONCACAF Champions League Cup and won, and won convincingly. So they'll feel confident going into that. We'll talk a lot more about that game in the next Inside LAFC podcast, but I will step aside, get ready for our special guest, David Cameron, the head scout of LAFC, to tell us about what it takes to create a good foundation to be good at his job over all the years in Major League Soccer and what LAFC is looking for when it comes to finding their next player. We're back on Inside LAFC podcast to discuss one of the most exciting things within LAFC, MLS, just soccer in general. Would you agree with that? Talking to Max Brados is definitely the most exciting thing that's, in soccer. No, that's not what I was talking about. I was oh, talking sorry. about scouting as we were joined here by David Cameron, our head scout. And uh, I know you don't want to get a lot of credit, right? But a lot of people, I, when I bring your name up, they their eyes prick up, their ears perk up, and they're like, oh, David, yes, he's... Uh, he is a very valuable person in our U.S. soccer landscape. Would you agree with that at least? Well, I've definitely been fortunate to work with good people and with in good organizations for a long time. So uh, I would like to think that uh, that I've earned it and that uh, that uh, that I've been a part of some really good places and really good teams. But it takes a group. It sure. does, I, and that we understand. But when I said I was going to have David on, I got a lot of texts of people that were very excited. I'm sure a lot of folks are going to listen, including uh, you. You got to mention your your hometown there, oh, the Made yeah. in Laurel, Maryland. Yeah. So me, uh, that's I w- close to Baltimore, correct? It is. Okay. So uh, my brother and I, my twin brother, works for the U.S. Men's National Team. He's the director of communications, and we've always tried to remember where we came from and where we're from. And so 
I don't really care too much about what people say about me, but as long as they say I'm from Lowell, Maryland, I'm good. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I was more like you, David. That's fantastic. But the Cameraman family has given a lot to this sport and from the beginning. But I wanted to talk about that because we always discuss what works in Major League Soccer. And we've seen people come from the exterior and have some success and others struggle. And really, just a foundation of knowing what this league is all about because it is unique in so many ways. And you've been with this league since the beginning uh, and that has helped lead you to this position. All sorts of jobs, which is a very interesting story. I know these people are going to be curious uh, and interested to hear about. But just tell a bit of you know, soccer in the mid-90s. And you you end up as media relations with D.C. United. Yes. In that 96. was league year one, correct? Yes, the first year of the league. And then uh, how did you get into that gig? How did you know you wanted You were a soccer player, obviously, of some, some ilk. Yes. Um, <laughs> but knowing that that's something you wanted to pursue. Uh, so my uh, my brother and I had both volunteered at a sports PR firm for a long time in, in D.C. And they ran the venue for the World Cup in 1994. And so our boss at the time became D.C. United's director of communications in 96. And halfway through the season, he was overwhelmed with work and decided to hire myself and my brother as media relations consultants to help him for the rest of the year. And in 97, they hired my brother full-time, and I actually started working in the equipment room as an assistant equipment manager at D.C. United. And that's kind of how the ball started rolling. And at the time, the head coach was Bruce Arena, and the assistant coach was Bob Bradley. <laughs> so throughout Some my... Some important shoulders you're rubbing up against there. They were, yes. And, and so throughout my career, in, in different ways, it's been kind of interesting because I've worked with both Bruce and Bob, but so has my brother. So I worked with Bob at the Chicago Fire, as an equipment manager. I worked with Bob as an assistant coach and manager of soccer operations at the Metro Stars. And I worked with Bruce as director of soccer operations at the Galaxy. In the meantime, my brother went to the national team and stayed there while well, he's still there, actually. So. Yeah, and well, you were also with the national team, as you said, like with uh, the 99 Confederations Cup. So. I did. I got called up to the national team in 99 to work for Bruce. He didn't have an equipment manager, and I was at the fire at the time working with Bob. So Bruce called Bob and asked if he could borrow me for a month, and I wound up going with the national team. Actually got a, a bronze medal in that tournament. It's amazing that you're here, the top club in Major League Soccer. I'll say it, obviously, as an MLS Cup champions, as the, the head scout, beginning as an equipment manager. And everyone begins somewhere. Uh, and there are so many stories out there. But how does one, from the equipment manager role, get into um, – a situation you also worked in TV as a researcher along the booths for the World Cup at ESPN. Yes, uh, th that's such a unique path you have taken. But to get there to a head scout, I know it's not an easy answer. But um, what is what was the advice you followed? What was the the path you followed to to know that I want to stay in this sport and eventually do this really important work? Well, first of all, I think anyone in soccer, like especially when you grow up with it, it, it's in your blood. It's not, it's part of your culture. It's part of your life. It's not, it's like a, soccer is almost a way of life when you're, when you're, if you're a fan or if, if you play. And so it kind of just stays with you. And I've been fortunate enough that, that once the, once I started working at DC United and then went to Chicago, uh, I had different experiences and different kinds of success that sort of made me, uh, valuable and able to progress in different jobs. And so, uh, yes, like you said, it's not a straight path for sure, but um, uh, I always knew that soccer was something that, that uh, was in me, and I've just been lucky that I've been able to stay with it as long as I have. Yeah, it's tremendous. Uh, and 
we benefit now because of that. But when we, we look at making contacts, and you mentioned Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley, um, I imagine, to use a dated reference, your Rolodex is pretty full. So how do you go about that when you're, you're having these opportunities, not knowing, well, knowing about someone that at a fire or DC United or at the Galaxy, and then lear learning the width and breadth of people that you can lean into along the way? Yeah, I mean, it just comes from different experiences. Being inside a locker room means that you automatically have a network of, of players and, and, and people that they know. Um, and, and so it, a lot of it is also social. So when we're, when we're at events like the All-Star Game or preseason where everybody's together, like, it's just sort of a, it's a, a social as well as a professional network. And so it, it just kind of keeps growing, especially if you have a good reputation, especially if people trust you, then, uh, then that's how it just continues to grow. That's great advice. Uh, it's amazing where, you, David, your, your path, and I crossed paths with David as well when we were at ESPN brief, briefly. Um, how did you enjoy that, working on the TV side? Well, <laughs> I didn't you love did, it so much. <laughs> it was good for the time, but you obviously had your eyes on, on, on becoming. Well, it was definitely interesting, and it's definitely fascinating. The, the thing that I didn't like about soccer back then was the game wasn't presented in it as a soccer show it was an entertainment show yeah and so i had come when i worked at espn i had come from being an assistant coach so i worked inside a locker room so the way that you you look at the game and you talk about the game is very different than on those broadcasts and so i enjoyed the time i enjoyed the travel i enjoyed working on the world cup it was fantastic but it just in the end it wasn't for me yeah well we're glad that that's the case but i i if you ever want to get a refresher and come back, I can I can show you around. Anytime, Max, I can do it. Okay, man, I got that. <laughs> I'll hop <in> back in. <laughs> Let's talk about scouting because this really is such a, a, an interesting topic, and so many people want to discuss it because you are dealing in a uh, unlike any other sport. It is a a world's game, and a lot of people, regardless of whether it's MLS or Liga MX or whichever league in the Middle East or in Europe. They're looking at similar players along the way. Um, when did you know that this was something you wanted to do? When was the heads, uh, the scouting situation more interesting than anything else that most people would agree on when it gets into the world of soccer slash football? Well, scouting it has been a part of my job for a while. It was back in 2004 and five when I worked with as an assistant coach and manager of soccer operations at the Metro Stars. Uh, and then when I went to the Galaxy, Actually, I'll back that up. And when I was working at ESPN, part of my my job was to sort of do research and also coach the broadcaster. So I was still looking at the game from a soccer perspective, not scouting as much. Watching but, players, but watching, watching players, players yeah. and, and teams. And then in, at the Galaxy, I was director of soccer operations, and I was really the only scout there for a long time. And so that was one aspect of my job that I had. Um, and so that was always of interest to me and then when it, when LAFC and when I spoke to LAFC uh, and John made me understand that the focus my focus was going to be just on scouting I was perfectly fine with that and, and it's been a great experience ever since so what do we, the process of scouting obviously is a lot of tape uh, it's a lot of travel as well yes um, what does your passport look like in fact I mean because it, pretty messy pretty messy <laughs> yes. so but you have just to go through some of the places you have gone to scout players where would it just under the lafc umbrella i imagine south america central america europe what, what are we what are we looking at uh pretty much every country in central america and most of south america other than i think uh, i haven't been to uruguay but we have our own scouts in uruguay yes. there. 
that's a big part, obviously, with uh, the the Uruguayan connection. That is a big part why we've seen this this pipeline of Uruguayan players, even now with uh, Kiki Oliveira. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, with LAFC, mostly Central and South America. What is it like watching tape? What do we? What, what volume of videos that you would have to go through of players? You think we could do it all day, every day, if we wanted to. Twenty. <laughs> So let's say 18 hours. Yeah, usually with me to to get to try to get a just a general feel for a guy it takes it it will take at least an hour, uh, maybe more. Yep. Um, depending on the position and and uh, and what we need, uh, but it's a uh, it can be challenging at times because you're spending a lot of time in front of a computer. Yeah. But uh, it's also rewarding and because uh, we're. We're doing what we can to make our team better for, for our players and for our fans. And also, in some ways, we have the opportunity to change people's lives. Yeah. So uh, that part, I think, is probably the most rewarding for me. I want to ask you about that. But real quickly, what are you looking for when you see these players? I mean, obviously, it's different situations where there's a goalkeeper, a midfielder, but certain elements that connect them that you want to see in a player that you would want to recommend to the club. Well, you can see that LAFC has a, a, a way of playing and a, and a game model. So basically, we're just looking for guys who we think will fit in with what it is that we do. Sometimes it's not easy because other teams don't play the same way that we do. So we have to imagine a little bit about how they'll fit. Um, and, and sometimes you can, you can see right away that a guy is, uh, can be an LAFC player. Let's talk about changing people's lives. And it's interesting, and I was talking to you before we started because of the the, the nature of LAFC scouting early on, we had the, the South Americans right from the jump, Diego Rossi and uh, Eduardo Atuesta, to name a couple. In 2019, you joined. We mentioned the, the two Ecuadorian players and Brian Rodriguez. These are guys coming in. And now with uh, Steve Chirundolo, uh, we've seen this European influence as well of players. Yes. This is a case of using all the resources, correct? Yes. And same with the Marco. And we see some of the, the connections into to Mexico. Yes, of course. We're, we're really fortunate here that between... Our technical staff, Marco, John, uh, we have really good connections uh, around the world. So we have a, a lot of resources that we can use to, uh, to get information about players. Uh, well, it, it, that is, I mean, I, it's a collective too. Like, I know you said I don't want to get too much credit. Mm -hmm. The process of getting the player, uh, everyone kind of will, will have some input on that. Of course. And yeah. at the end of the day, it, between uh, John and Steve, they, they decide uh, what we're going to do. But, uh, but certainly here at LAFC, one of the, the best things about our club is how collaborative we are and how uh, everyone has a voice. Yeah, and they've said that all the time. Let's talk about changing the lives of the players. I'm going to talk about some players that have come through LAFC and just the scouting process. But before I get in there, because when you're looking at players that are 17, 18, 19, or whatever the age is, um, there's a wide net here. And we've seen these stories, and you've probably seen it firsthand, about players that have now ended up their high profile. I was talking about Darwin Nunez and Moises Caicedo. These were guys that were uh, on, in the eyes of MLS scouts as well. And LAFC. And LAFC, yes. Yes. Uh, Victor and I saw Moises Caicedo at an under-20 Libertadores tournament. Uh, Darwin Nunez we saw at uh, your uh, under 20 qualifying so you know it, uh, all these different kinds of prospects come onto our radar we can't take them all yeah. and so we wind up having to make choices we're also as you said before we're competing with the rest of the world and so uh, LAFC have done uh, historically a really good job of identifying and recruiting players yeah. uh, but we can't get them all 
And you don't know at the time when they're that age what's going to. There's so many of challenges for these players. And you also never age. know because a guy does well another place that he'd do well here or the, the, the same way around. So basically we're, we're, we're doing our best to make educated guesses. I'm going to go through some players that have come through LAFC. Okay. And talk about that process of, of signing them. One with uh, high profile was Mahala. Amalo Poku, young Ghanaian player, was in the United States. Yep. Uh, how was he located, and how would you describe his path to where he's he's doing great at Montreal? He did great here at LAFC. Mahalo's story, well, it was kind of interesting. So I, I was in Ecuador, and I happened to be there when, when we had just signed Cheeky. Yep. And so the owner of Alcas is American, and he invited me to his house, and he was telling me how he was good friends with this really famous scout in Europe named Pete DeVisser, and that... Uh, Pete had written a book, and there was a chapter about the owner of Alcas. And he said to me, you know, he's got an academy in Ghana. Would you guys be interested in going? And I said, sure, that'd be great. And so we, through Pete and, uh, and uh, some of our contacts in the Netherlands, we scheduled a trip to Ghana. And originally I was going to go, but Bob wound up being free. So Bob went on the trip to Ghana, saw Mahala, and that's how we got him. Said. <laughs> Let's give this guy a bigger look. Yes. And we did. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, Danny Buwanga, who was a little more fleshed out in France, but there was a big move for the a DP that you knew you were going to lump. But this was not a young player. You were going to lump on responsibility. But what was the process of identifying him? Uh, Denis' name was brought to us by uh, an agent that we know and trust. And when you watch him, you could see right away that Denis would be a, a, a really good fit at LAFC. And so uh, the staff looked at him and liked him and it was a it, w it was a difficult process and we we didn't get it done until the last minutes of the transfer window last uh, last summer so that was a nail biter to the end but thankfully uh between our ownership and john they were able to get it done you mentioned chiki palacio so you were part of his uh that's the the, the process of scouting for him as well because you said you were down there with the club chiki actually wasn't there in, in uh qualifying in 20 in, I think it was uh, 2019, because his club in Holland wouldn't let him go. Chiki's was an interesting one also. Chiki was supposed to go to Barcelona B. He had, I actually saw his plane ticket. And in the process <laughs> of Chiki going to Barcelona B, they signed another left back. Wow. And that put the brakes on Barcelona B did. Yes. So and that put the brakes on Chiki wanting to He had to, to leave go. his Dutch club, I presume. He did. He okay. was going back to Alcas. Okay. And so... Uh, on the last day of the transfer window, again, John wound up speaking to the owner of Alcas in Spanish, didn't know that, that he was American, and they wind up doing this deal the last, at the absolute last minute in 2019. And that's how Cheeky wound up coming. He here. didn't know that John was American. John didn't know the owner. Oh, the owner was American. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah, makes so a lot more sense. I might be screwing up some of the details. No, he didn't. But, that's, but that's more of my list. But that's you basically got uh, what happened with Cheeky. Because I remember I'd come in that day and said to Will Coons, like, ah, it's too bad we couldn't get Palacios, and he's like, no, it's it's back on. Yeah. <laughs> and in so, there. Yeah. So it, it was pretty wild. Do you get a lot of those cases where it's like, I mean. Does that happen more often than we think, where it's like down to the wire and this could go either way and. Um, you kind of have to see it all the way through. Thankfully, it doesn't happen okay, as good. much. <laughs> it's much, but the, the times that it's it's that's happened, at least uh, since I've been in LAC, have worked out pretty well. Uh, what about with the the emergence of some of the European players? You know, Timothy Tillman, Matty Bogus. These are young European players, and you know, when there was a time in MLS that young European players didn't come 
to this league. You know, they were developed in European leagues. They didn't get out of there. Um, how have you seen that process, especially with LAFC? You've had success with not just those. I mean, we could throw uh, Fufu Krastev as well. Top European pro, uh, uh, talent coming here to Major League Soccer. Well, I think part of it is that because, because LAFC have been such a good club and, and recognized as a good place to be, that we've been able to attract these kinds of kids that maybe wouldn't consider coming to MLS in the past. And certainly Steve is a part of that uh, because of his experience in Europe and his, his, uh, his reputation. So that, that's, uh, that, that certainly helps us. But really, uh, younger pe- Europeans are starting to see that MLS can be a pathway for them to continue to grow in their careers, and particularly here at LAFC. What has the perception been about LAFC when you're on the on these these road trips or you're talking to coaches and players or agents about potentially coming here? I mean, it has to have changed considerably. It has. You know, it, at first when you start to travel around, people say, if you say L.A., they say the Galaxy uh, almost always. And that's, of course, because of the, the job that they have done as far as bringing in players and branding and international names. Uh, but LAFC, especially in South America and now starting to be more in Europe, is very well respected because of the players that we've been able to attract that other teams wanted. So uh, Sifu is another example where where Manchester City, Celtic were interested in him, and he wound up coming here. So uh, I think maybe within the the global soccer world, uh, we're well respected. The Under-22 initiative, where I think a lot of those players fall under, how has that helped change the pursuit of these players it wasn't there a few years ago, and we see most clubs filling their rosters with uh, those allocations. Well, it allows us to to look at a, a, a broader range of players, and obviously, the the uh, having access to more money means that we can take bigger swings. Yeah, and so they got an example of that with our team now, Stipe Buke. Um, so it it really gives us a more puts us makes us more competitive in the global market brilliant would i leave anything out this was pretty thorough david i don't know did you i know i did check your notes i am but by your reaction there i know i must have because this is a a long story to to share with i mean because people love it people love uh to see the process of players it's not just soccer it's football it's bad you want to see that people want to see these origin stories where they come through well i i think one of the things that that you and i were talking about was like the that when you work on the inside of things that maybe it's difficult to understand is that because we work within a salary cap and the different rules that we have, and we have such a good team, the, the challenge for us is to find players who are as good or better than what we have, but we can also afford. Yep. And that's, uh, that's a, a good challenge for us to have, but it's, it's certainly one that we, we come across uh, every day. And because agents and players don't necessarily understand how our structure works getting players to understand what their value is relative to what we can spend is also a bit of a challenge because we don't want to like insult a guy by saying look this is all we can pay and they think what are you out of your mind (laughs) but uh but that's just the system that we work with and so you know from the outside of things it's very difficult to understand even some of us who've been in it a long time it's not easy but that's that's a big part of the process and like i said that the the good challenge that we have at lafc is because we have good teams it's that much harder to find guys who are who uh who can fit and we can afford and what we do 
set a very high standard, which is excellent. Yes. So, uh, yes. This is uh, David. I, I, we've, I've been looking forward to doing this. Uh, how did you think you fared on your first TV or podcast content gig? I have absolutely no idea. Marco, he's pretty good. <laughs> he warmed it. He got. He got into it. I, well, I, as long as like, uh, I mean, it, it's as long as it's useful, like for our for our fans and the people who are watching that they they understand a little bit more about what we do every day then yeah it's it's great I i'm happy i happy can speak on their behalf but leave a comment on our youtube page or here where the podcast can be heard to let you know about the scouting it's just another exciting part of lafc david cameraman head scout here at the club thanks for joining us sure max we'll see you soon he's a good dude make sure you rate review download subscribe tell a friend of inside lafc podcast we'll be back next week getting ready for decision day and the playoffs lying ahead